we're still sitting here at Banana Jam because I've got to do a monster recording session. My goal is to record or to release one podcast a day for the month of November because it's one podcast a day. Yeah, so it's National Good Podcasting luck. Day somewhere, I think in America. Okay. So Good today we today we released a, a podcast interview with His Royal Highness Prince of Bavaria and we've recorded another podcast and now it's Rob's turn. Now anybody who's involved in craft beer will know Rob because Rob is one of the founders of League of Beers and he's br- brought a lot of joy to a lot of people especially in far off places like game farms in the northern province <laughs> but not only that also in Santon I think you once told me most of your customers live in Santon yeah, which was probably where they got really nice access to good craft beer but yet they still choose to buy from the League of Beers or Yuppie Chef so I want to welcome Rob Rob Haynes how's it all go? thank you and uh, I really want to go back a few steps and, and really find out how you got involved in this beautiful industry and how or where you see yourself. And uh, I like talking to entrepreneurs, finding out their story and, and just see if there's any lessons and, and stories that, that we can find out that not everybody knows. Okay, so don't learn from me is the first tip. <laughs> if I give any advice, don't follow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean the story that I know is that you know my cousin yeah. and uh, that you had some crazy idea or that you have a forum or a meeting session. Yeah, he half spurned the idea actually. Your cousin actually gave the idea to me. Okay. Uh, so we were a week prior. So a few, a few steps back, I yeah. left my job working for Fairview because I wanted to follow my own destiny and I had a big, I was a big belief, business interest me, I was a big belief that e-commerce, there was something yeah. was bubbling over in e-commerce. And Fairview is a wine farm. Yeah. And that is where CBC is. Or next, next door. door. Yeah. Okay. Um, I worked for Fairview most of high school and university, did a stint in retail and then was offered a job at Fairview selling, I must remember not to speak too quickly and I must enunciate. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan today. Um, New York, unique. Um, so left Fairview and it was, it, was, it was great there but I wanted to start my own thing in e-commerce. I believe there was something happening there. I think at that stage not many people did. And I'd made friends with the guys from Yuppie Chef and was getting guidance from them. I went and did a course at UCT where I met in Zeka and we gelled and realized we had an equally fiery work ethic and we knew we'd do something together. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a meeting with Andrew, owner of Yuppie Chef, and I was saying to him, listen, I'm going to, we're going to start something in e-commerce. Um, what would you, if you were to start an e-commerce business from scratch, what would you start? And you have this kind of checklist, right? Mm. And including that checklist was like the ability to work with a community, um, being passionate about your product, and there was various other things, right? He probably also mentioned things like a margin and a couple of financial metrics, which but I you didn't hear promptly ignored, yeah. yeah. Um, then a week later, I'm sitting with your cousin, Dave Kuzel, and... Um, we were just talking about ideas, just throwing stuff around. And I've, I've been a beer fan forever. Like I've always, I was offered jobs at SAB after university and I just didn't want to take it because it didn't feel like the right way to do beer for me, yeah. right? It felt like you'd be part of a giant, monstrous, corporate, successful organization. Yeah. I mean, what is successful craft beer? It's Anheuser-Busch and SAB, right? Because they all started as tiny breweries. Yeah. But uh, I was more interested in the niche smaller things. And I think 
a year or two prior, I'd had um, a vedette's uh, extra white uh, in Paris, and I was like, this, I've got to be in this beer thing, right? And it just stayed in my mind. Every time I traveled, I was just exploring and tasting different beers, but I saw it as a hobby. So sitting with Dave, throwing ideas around, and he's like, you know what's a, a problem? Is that there's all this home brewing and craft brewing, and you just can't get hold of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. That's what e-commerce does. It gets the stuff that you can't get and it gets it to you. And then I saw the list that Andrew from Yappy Chef had given me and like just ticking boxes, ticking boxes. Obviously I missed Some the financial boxes. boxes. Like um, the community thing. The, 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 big, the big driver was community, uh, being passionate about what it is. Ordering um, on fanaticism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, trends that were growing. Um, he was at that stage also a big believer in the slow food movement, which I've been a big follower of. So is Andrew the guy with the hair? The, the afro? Yeah. No, no, that's Paul. Paul. Oh, yeah. yeah. Paul Gulatis. That's right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So Paul, Andrew and Shane, kind of the owner, founders of Yappy Chef. Paul's probably the more famous one, but okay. uh, Andrew more involved directly with Yappy Chef. Um, and I had the strongest relationship with Andrew. Um, and yeah, so I saw Andrew's list, all these boxes got ticked and I was like, booyah, that is what I'm going to do. I am going to do craft beer online. And um, I, I said to Zeke, we can do this artisanal beer thingy, we'll figure it out. And then we didn't speak for a while and I just started putting the plan together, started speaking to Ross from Jack Black, who I knew quite well. Um, Greg from Banana Jam, I spoke to him a lot, Marnie, Run Liquors. And um, eventually, myself and Marnie had a chat, and Marnie was like, he could see this. I remember his body movement. This, yeah. There's a bit of synergy, this kind of weird, looked like a dad dance. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was like, yeah, let, let's do this. So we started putting together League of Beers. In between, um, Ross said, listen, this beer online thing is a stupid idea. Come work for me. And I was like, well, this is a good way to get impact in the industry. And because he didn't believe my, my company would have any impact, he didn't mind me working for him. Um, got to know Kevin from Darling really well, got to know Rui from Man Union quite well, got to know Russell, uh, Derek and Dan from Devil's Peak quite well. So got quite good, um, which has stood me in, stood me in good stead. Um, make, made a good network. Or yeah, one of the main things is being the network and the relationships. It's a very relation, beer's a relational thing, you know. Mm. So it was, luckily I like people, beer people mm. like people, so we all got on quite well, which is, has actually been very useful because those are the guys that I've done the most business with over the years. As much as we wanted to speak to the new consumers and we wanted to speak to the, help the new brewers, having that, that solid founding base with the, mm. the key guys has been huge. And those are the guys who, I remember I was saying to someone the other day, kind of the most impactful people in craft beer, um, in my opinion in South Africa, if you're at the craft, the original craft beer project that was held, that Greg put together, uh, was held at Simon's Restaurant, and the names and faces there, those are some of the guys with the biggest impact in craft beer in South Africa. And we launched League of Beers at the, at the initial okay. craft beer project. What yeah. year was it? 2012, August. Okay. End of July, August. Yeah. Um, our first customer, Randolph Yorberg, yeah. found us online. Like, we weren't even live. I didn't even, our, site had, our URL had just been registered, and this guy buys. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what kind of SEO tricks is this guy using that he can actually find us? Yeah. So I hand-delivered and met the guy and found out his whole story and relationships built. And, and, um, and that was when when did he start the beer house the a year, about a year later okay. <clears throat> but it was a long-term project but i remember yeah so ross not thinking league of beers would be a big thing eventually got to the point where <laughs> on my brother's wedding day on like the first of december i think it was in uh 2012 he sent me an email telling me that he's promptly firing me from jack black because uh league of beers grew really quickly so in those oh. first three months we like shot out the out the blocks i think in like if you take e-commerce as an example 
uh, Yapichev's first year in 2006 when they were building the whole e-commerce thing. They did about 200 sales in their first year. We did 200 sales in our second month. Okay. And by by November, we had 70 subscribers to our Beer of the Month Club, which uh, we, in the same breath in an interview that Nzeka said we have a Beer of the Month Club, a week later we developed a Beer of the Month Club, and a week later after that we had 70 subscribers. So it was luck from a timing point of view. We Craft beer was in the right place, e-commerce in the right place. It was all kind of coming together, and we luckily could execute. And it was still very rare to find beer. I think now it's a little bit easier to find some beer. Well, our mission's always been the same, right? So the initial mission was to find beer and get them, kind of bring the, the mm. rare beers to the consumers. And that was straightforward e-commerce solved that. And a lot of our initial customers are like that. The model's gone much more in the direction of the Beer of the Month Club because mm. through the Beer of the Month Club, because we're ordering large volumes, we can go buy a pallet from Australia and go buy a pallet from Scotland and go buy a pallet from the States and we can get stuff that other people can't get. Yeah. So the, the exploration journey of it continues for anybody in South Africa, we can put beers in there that other people can't get their hands okay. on. You know, so that's that's what's kind of kept us yeah. relevant. And and before that, you said you worked for Fairview for a long time. Where did you grow up? Obviously in Stellenbosch or or Fairview and Paul. Yeah. Um, I born in Pretoria. Um, moved around a lot. Mixed family okay. history. Bit of a relatively tough uh, upbringing. Was I was at Rondebosch, but we on had to go on to bursaries because um, we uh, couldn't afford to stay in the school. Um, then mom got together with a dude from Fairview, uh, Charles, and uh, I ended up working on the farm okay. during school holidays. Um, and was driven very hard. I was I was treated like if you think sons get treated toughly, I was given the, the tough end of the sick. There were still family jokes about the fact that I was drilled. But it was cool because I um, had to work in the vineyards, work on the wine farm, work doing the toughest work and developed a really good work ethic. So the drive was there because I could see this entrepreneurial vibe that this guy had and that inspired me. But he was making me work like uh, as hard as anybody in the worst environment, in the boiling pile sun. So he also developed the work ethic because like nothing's worse than working there'll never be tougher work than working in a vineyard <laughs> right and I'm not built for working in a vineyard most of those guys are close to the ground you give yeah. me a shovel it's a long way down <laughs> you know so that that helps a lot but then also that's when I got exposed to the winemaking process and the story behind it mm. and the whole artisanal because Charles is really good at telling stories and big time eh? yeah yeah so ironically and this almost maybe this was through osmosis but Sugarbird um we chose the sugar bird because the sugar bird selects its favorite feinbos and goats to Rome is the same idea. The goats went to the vineyard selecting its oh. favorite grapes. And it wasn't on purpose, but it obviously fell in by, yeah. I only realized that in hindsight. Yeah. Um, but Did you ever, do, do your guys here make their own or ferment wine in bags in the vineyard? Like my mean the farm workers? Yeah. No, no, no. My, my brothers bought some farms in Uppington. Oh, really? In, in a place called Grootdrink. Okay. I, I really like the name. <laughs> and they, the farm workers, one of the problems is they pick grapes, put it in plastic bags and hide it in the vineyard. Oh, really? And then it ferments and they drink that. No, so uh, that, if, of all farms that would not fly would be Fairview. So Charles is very into like worker empowerment and worker development and worker entrepreneurship. good wine. Well, yeah, he does good wine. <laughs> No, but, uh, for his workers. No, 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 no wine for the workers. <laughs> so he, he's actually had government long before there were a lot of BE type of projects in place. He was doing these kind of things of empowering his workers mm -hmm. in, the, in the 90s. Um, it, there was no such thing in the 90s. And, and a lot of government officials used to come and see him to understand how his projects worked. Um, so, and you'll find probably the... the, the <laughs> 
I'm, I'm not going to say this. But yeah. basically, one of his famous employees on a farm next door and him there, probably the biggest challenge is the con- amount of alcohol consumption because he's not a big believer in uh, daily alcohol consumption. It's a recreational after-hours thing yeah. versus a tasting during the day. If anybody figures that out, that's your own problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, watched it was inspired by that uh, only it was when I was where if I behaved really well I got to work in the tasting room and I got to sell wine okay. and taste wine and understand wine and there was no issue with tasting wine in there because you had to get to know your product so I got to understand the flavor and nuances of wine and of the cheeses and what I realized one of my favorite ones was there was this product called the SMV um, and the story of how it was made is Shiraz Mavadra Viennia was very interesting the way the grapes were sourced was very interesting but there was this kicker to it because um it was, just, it was Shiraz, Mavad, Riviera, but you could also describe it as sensuous, mysterious, and voluptuous. And you say those magic words, and it's sold. And I was like, that's magic. <laughs> and just something clicked. You know? yeah. and that's, so I suppose that's always been my kind of interest in craft beer versus mainstream beer. It's just that there's that extra magic, you know? When there's, there's passion gone into it, and there's story yeah. behind it, and there's, there's, there's something to it that, like, you can't get on a mass-produced level, yeah. you know? And, and I think the consumer more and more so can... can they can smell agencies. They can smell an ad agency. They can smell. Yeah, yeah. They can smell uh, corporate. Yeah, big time. Mm. And uh, it's not that. I mean, we've I've seen it in the retail where mm. the big brands or the big brewers come and come. You know, they they launch wannabe craft beer. Mm. And the consumer, people can see it a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's and kind of it's a lot of that is our fault because we've educated the consumer as mm. to what is the real deal. At the same time, in the same breath, right? Um, I don't believe in craft for the sake of craft. Like, mm. don't go brew out of a bucket and think that that's better. Yeah, right? Quality is quality. Make the best thing that yeah. you can make and that people will buy. People yeah. buy into that. Not the best brand. Or don't make the, not the best brand or the cheapest production. Yeah. Both, oh, it's the wrong way around. Yeah. It's like, get, get, make the best product and ex- tell your consumer about that product and you'll be, you'll be okay. And he's happy, like, I mean, we've just tasted some of Greg's coconut beer. And mm. I mean, I would pay, what did he say, 60 rand a pint. I would. Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, Fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Because you wanted experience and you've seen Greg's passion and yeah, yeah. everything go into it. Well, the whole experience ties into story and enjoyment and that's that's quite important. I mean, a lot of people buy craft beer for the sake of status because mm. craft across the craft industry has become quite aspirational yeah. and um, there's room for bullshit there. But as you say, people start sniffing it out. The more the problem with craft is that it educates consumers. The more you educate consumers, the less they're going to fall for the, the BS. Yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> but they're, but they're still, uh, you know, these there's also still a space for for mainstream lagers I think even even if you if you know what you're drinking you know I think it's fine yeah yeah I mean I I hate the product and I've said this openly I hate Castle Light as a product as a marketing business proposition I'm like in awe of those guys like what they've done they've got the most aspirational product again across every part of South Africa how do they do that that's yeah. amazing like amazing. I love it it's like you go into it's not just like people speak about going to Soweto and you'll, you'll see Castle Light there well I can get that I'm talking about I was in I was in a tell we went to Kluhluwe good pronunciation mm-hmm. eh and um, as opposed to everyone, everyone else says Schlash so yeah. we went there's like these townships on the way there and this is the sticks right and there's Castle Light there being consumed there I'm like like yeah. my hat goes off to you guys that is that is good work yeah you know the green bottle yeah yeah the <laughs> green bottle yeah <laughs> yeah 
And uh, but the the work at uh, back to the League of Peers. I mean, that was hard work. Yeah, money has told me. Yes, long uh, lines of you. Yeah. So the thing is about League of Peers, it's a really bad business model. Yeah, um, because it's beer is relatively cheap for a distributable mm. product, but it's still expensive to the end consumer. It's very fragile, um, and it's quite competitive actually. So there was no margin. Yeah. In um in the product, so we had multiple challenges. So our first challenge was the fact that we had no money, but we were selling and with no ability to scale. We were working. Marnie's bottle store, Rulant Liquors, got turned into the League of Beers warehouse in the yeah. first couple of months with poor old Troy May packing the boxes. Really? Yeah. yeah. We all everyone goes back long ways. Um, and um and so that wouldn't work. So we needed to find a way to scale. Luckily, I was friends with the Abishev guys because I was speaking to investors who wanted to throw money at this craft beer thing. We had no business model, and I didn't know how to build a warehouse. Whereas by joining Yappy Chef, we all of a sudden had access to operating like professionals, right? Yeah. The problem is, is that we took the craft beer industry in 2012 and inserted it into Yappy Chef, who were a professional organization. So my first year at Yappy Chef was a nightmare of trying to blend these two, right? Yeah. But then, <clears throat> a year, so the sales were always good because the demand was there. I mean, good products, anything, anything like that. Then about a year or two into it, we realized that like, we weren't making any money. It was basically, it was beer charity. We were getting yeah. beer to people across the country and making no money out of it. So the guys at Yappy Chef came back to me and said, listen, you need to turn this into a business. And I was like, okay, well, how? And they said, well, we need, the consumer's not going to pay anything more. We actually need to give the consumer a better price, yeah. right? So you need to get the brewers to give you ridiculous discounts. And I was like, well, the brewers, these guys will give 5% discount if you're macro. They're going to laugh at us if we ask them for a discount. But then, so what we started working on is, okay, how do we get to a point where they want to give us that discount? Yeah. So we started changing our business model, started focusing on heavily on consumer education and heavily on seeding the right product with the right people, getting the consumption to happen and leveraging all our databases that we had so that in actual fact, we had something of value to offer the brewers. Because mm. if, if you look at wine of the month models across the world, that is actually how they work. Um, so yeah, we started marketing business, not a not a sales business. Completely. I mean, I was speaking to Alan from um, Red Rock earlier on today, and he was saying about how he sees League of Beers as a key partner in marketing. I was like, good, because there are better distribution options. We, we your product will be available through us, but use us as a marketing tool if we're going to work together. If you don't see it as a marketing tool, you're missing the point, mm. right? Because the thing is, we have access to people who are super passionate about craft beer. If you look at our tasting mm. league, it's like I think there's about 30 people on there who are. They're the thought leaders and the trend leaders in craft beer, right? And uh, you look at the people who are consuming, these guys are so passionate about the product that they subscribe to get beer delivered to their door yeah. every month at a, a premium price, right? Yeah. So this is the people you want consuming your product because they're going to tell other people yeah. about it, right? And then through Yabishev, we've got this big foodie market. So we can then speak to these 200,000 foodies through our newsletter. So we can properly guarantee consumption, guarantee seating with the right people and put into people to actually give a fair criticism about your product. Because your product's not good. I've said to a lot of brewers, give us bad product at your peril, because it's gonna kill your brand, but you can make your brand huge if you give us good product. Mm. And then obviously we talk about it through Yappy Chef. So then the first couple of brewers I went to absolutely laughed at me. Um, to their credit, Gary from Citizen and Wolfgang and Andy from CBC kind of had faith in us. Um, and a lot of that came from Scott saying to Andy, back these guys, they're, they're doing something good. And um, kind of got taken over. And um, we got, I think Kevin from Darling gave us a chance, all those old relationships. Mm. Um, and, and we started, and like, it was a lot of relationship that brewers 
had faith in what we could do, even though they thought we were talking smoke in our socks, yeah. right? But then we got some momentum, and okay. then all of a sudden it started coming together. And then next thing you know, then Devil's Peak are like, hey guys, we've got to do something, you know? And then we started building on this database and building this audience. Mm-hmm. And as Andrew said, with the Abhishev, the community. So we leveraged the community. We gave the community what they wanted, but the community gave the brewers what they wanted. So we became more of a platform. Yeah, so and that's, yeah. platform that's, is a good word. And that's what changed our business model. Yeah. So making that work was a lot of blood, sweat and beers. Like it was hard work. Like yeah. uh, like 60 to 80 hour weeks was the kind of the norm for many years. Um, many, I say four years, but like it was, it's a long yeah. time consistently, right? Um, and then the so la- you sold the business to your Yeah. In? 2013. 2013. Yeah. And I remember I was at some e-commerce conference in Joburg and Paul was doing a talk and he said, and we're going into the beer business. And then okay. in the food queue, I said to him, how are you going to deliver and how are you not going to deliver to under 18s? Yes, because then he came to me with the same question. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what solves it generally, credit cards. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah, because most of them are adults, eh? Yeah, because you can do these like, don't buy under 18s, all these things, but if you just put a credit card there, it kind of it gets rid of most of that challenge because yeah. you don't want to make multiple steps in okay. buying. So that was 2013 when he would have been at that conference, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Also, also a Durbanite like yourself. Okay. Yeah. Where were you at school? In the Midlands. School? Hermansburg. At? Hermansburg. Hermansburg, okay, yeah. cool. It's not a fancy snooty one. No, no, it's just okay. a, the uh, oldest yeah, kind yeah. of. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, he was also at school in the Midlands. Okay, oh. the fancy snooty one. Fancy snooty one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good school. If, if I had enough money, I would have gone there or sent my kids there <laughs> one day. <laughs> uh, nice view of the of Maritzburg, Peter Maritzburg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so Yapishev has become a, a marketing platform for new brands and obviously mm. existing brands. And we're doing a similar thing with Gin. Yeah. Um, it's it's been it's it's great leveraging platform. I'll give an example of uh, Cruxland yeah. uh, when they they had this idea like a PR stint of making a bit of a gin, and they they did a newsletter with us and two three pallets later through Yapishev and they they realised well here's a business guys, uh, Musgrave Pink. Uh, it was a kind of a concept. It was doing quite well. Did a, uh, Simon was brave enough to do a two for one, buy two, get one free deal. Uh, so basically, a th- thousand rand for three bottles of okay. gin. Yeah, went absolutely nuts. Really? Yeah, now Simon's gin flies through us um, and helped like get pink to the next level. I mean, pink yeah. is one of the best selling gins in South Africa now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's. There's, there's a lot of power in the, the thing is about the Yabishev and Liga Beers databases it's people are super engaged like really into food and beer and stuff so if your product's good and you put it in front of them it's going to fly yeah. if your product is full of nonsense then, uh, they'll see right through it yeah. so they're discerning uh, customer base which is quite useful and can I ask a tip for the brewers I mean there's not many brewers that do that I'm aware of that do a lot of online sales. Mm. Do you know of anybody that... Does their own online sales, yeah. I mean, not side of us. Uh, if you're thinking of getting into online sales uh, as a brewer, don't be an idiot. Like, you know how difficult it is, like, for us to get right. Yeah. So when, when, when we see competition, we kind of laugh because it was so difficult to make it work. We've gone so far down the line. It's like, go for it. Like, competition's cool, gets more people online. No, no, I'm just asking, is it, I mean... Would you do online? Have you seen anybody successfully do it? No. Yeah. No, we. I, I know for a fact that we're the only people who are doing beer successfully, sustainably online. Yeah. Um, and I know that because of the people we speak to in the industry, our, our competitors. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our competitors have tried and stopped. Like take a lot, is it working? Mm. 
can't really comment too much on that. Yeah. But I can. But I do know. I mean, spoken to a lot of these guys that yeah. they I struggle. Should have asked Trevor, who was here earlier on, on a podcast, because who's Trevor? Trevor from uh, Old Potters. Oh yes, I saw him. I bumped into yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Trevor was at school with Dave Matthews. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my goodness, may I touch you? <laughs> <laughs> Trevor was at school with and, uh, Andre from Woodstock as well. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize Andre was such a refined sense boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, I've had this discussion with a, with a friend of mine who's got an e-commerce business and we're talking about opportunities for retailers. Mm. And the other, I mean, not for retailers, for brewers. Mm. And the, the other retailers, I think, I mean, it is a big challenge to, to do online. No, I wouldn't do it at all. Yeah, no. even, even the other spirits. I mean, the other... A gin works well. Yeah. No, just we sell, we buy gin at whatever they sell it to us at, and we sell it on. It's fine. It's because um, your delivery as a percentage of your product cost is so much smaller with beer. It's a very high percentage of. Yeah. So here's an example. Um, delivery as a percentage of the average Yuppie Chef sale is seven and a half percent plus minus. Delivery as a percentage of League of Beers sales is thirty percent. Mm. There's a broken business model right there. Yeah. Hence Beer the Month Club. And uh, so my, my whole. People ask me where's the future of beer, and I say in local. Mm. Uh, Brew pubs. You have to sell your beer as much as you can in your own. Premises. Yeah, distribution's and a then, monster. This and, yeah. and do the local brewery. I mean the local retailers. Mm. And uh, don't ship your beer across the world. No, no, it's it's difficult. It's not. I wouldn't say don't do it. You, what you do need is. Um, some good canning solutions. Mm. Then, uh, then uh, you could do some uh, a lot of distribution across the world. But uh, more about that later. <laughs> you way ahead of your time. Yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, you've you've done some interesting things with with gin. You started quite early with uh, with Jennifer Montaigne. Yeah. yeah. What got me into gin was beer. Yeah, obviously. So, I mean, I, I, said, I said a long time I stopped. I didn't want to. I mean, I got a lot of people when the craft beer thing started, uh. asking me, won't you sell and distribute our beer? And I said, uh. I'll never uh. do that again because I moved from from beer into spirits. And, uh, yeah. and you just see the difference. That's the easier to is, work with. It's just so much easier. Well, it was a, it was a, the big thing is about being, having a uniquely South African product and the logistics came second. So I've been, since founding League of Beers, I wanted to export South African craft beer. Cause like, my Twitter profile will tell you that I'm passionate about craft beer, South Africa, and the Dave Matthews Band. And uh, <laughs> Dave Matthews Band of no relevance, but um, the, I wanted to export South African craft beer like badly for a long time. Yeah. I just wanted to get good South African product out there and like more and more hurdles. And one of the big hurdles was our ingredients are actually, our best ingredients are not from here. So then I take a brand overseas, nobody knows the brand, and the ingredients are from Europe and America. Yeah. So like, what is the differentiating factor? That's well, a bit of a difficult sell. Yeah. And it's difficult logistically to get the beer there. Whereas with gin, this whole Fainboss thing, just like, I love it. Like, so we've got, if you look at when craft beer started versus when this craft gin movement started, maybe distillation's easier or maybe it's not, but like the guys have entered at a, at a higher level of quality. Yeah. So a lot of our local startup gins are really good. Whereas when our beers started off, they weren't, you know, that's it's different now. I, I was judging at the home brewers competition, the national home brewers competition last week, Sunday, not one bad beer. Mm -hmm. Now you take that to a judging 
three years ago for craft breweries, professional craft breweries in South Africa, and half the beers would have been bad. Amazing. So craft beers come a long way in South yeah. Africa, whereas gin started at a, at a high level of quality. Yeah. And yeah, I think distillations like hides a lot of evils, but like that's it means we can already start competing on an international level. So you've got a lot of local gins that are really good, right? Then we get a lot of imports here, and you compare them. And actually, some of our stuff is better. And one of the factors that's make it better is we've gone, like craft beer, our gins are high flavor, and a lot of it is Feinbos-driven. Mm. Not all. Um, but the, 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 that, that idea of Feinbos, I'm like, well, that's flipping cool. That's like, that's something is uniquely, uniquely yeah. South African. Like, wow, I want to take that overseas. Yeah. Um, and so we made Geneva Montaigne uh, with the idea of making the best gin we could. Uh, with Hope and Hopkins <laughs> and the idea was to take that overseas internationally uh, it didn't work out various problems came about so that project doesn't hold uh, which inspired me to kind of start the sugar bird and the idea with the sugar bird was let's make a Feinbos gin that can do international and local because Jennifer Montaigne was, had a high price point so we thought let's, let's start operating with great quality gin um, with the crafts with a craft ethos of great recipe, great fanboss, high flavor, great purity, all these kind of things. But let's start operating at a slightly higher level, which is why we did the whole crowdfunding thing. So let's make this not on a small batch of 400 bottles, let's, or three or two or five, whatever. Let's start making this on a 3,000 to 5,000 bottle batch, right? So we get scale in there to bring the costs right down. Let's work with guys outside of the industry who, from a spirits point of view, got spirits down pat but can operate at that kind of scale. And let's bring our craft ethos of craft beer and our flavor notes and all our finicky flavor note finesse to the game. And let's kind of mold, not mainstream, but a bit of a scale with, with the high quality product so that the first goal for Sugar Bird is, we call it just good gin, so it's, it's not meant to be pretentious. It's meant to be a, a fun gin because people get very into the whole pretentious flavor notes. I do, I'm the worst, right? But the majority of people, like what I find with my friends, they don't want to hear all my nonsense mm. about this note and that, but they just want to enjoy their, their product, right? Mm. Just give me a glass of it. And gin especially, it's a refreshing drink. So like, mix your, your sugar bird, we call it just good gin, because we want to just, you can do all the fancy stuff, but just have it the way you want it. That's the most important okay. thing. And we made it an accessible price point. So it's at a price point that is closer to your Tanqueray Bombay Sapphire. So it's a little bit of a step up. But it's a lower price point than a lot of the craft gins, which is, I'm sure, not great for them. But what it does is it makes an entry-level drug. Mm. So we're getting more people to not necessarily go for the international ones, but go for something local and realize how great Fanboss gin is and open them to the world of Fanboss gin. So make an accessible gin for South Africans. And the same thing when we go overseas. <clears throat> Take an accessibly priced South African Fanboss gin and start like carving a niche for South African Feinbos gin, leveraging on the rooibos thing in international markets so that more South African Feinbos gins and South African gins can get into those markets. Because mm. like, for us, it's like, we, I don't get scarcity. It's about make the pie bigger. Like, just get everybody into it. And like, for me, it's, it's like, if you have a restaurant on a back end street, nobody's gonna know to go there. But if you've got five restaurants, people will know to go there. And the same thing we're going to have a tough time selling a Feinbos gin in markets that have never heard of Feinbos before. But if we go there and carve a bit of a path and the next thing Vildra joins us with their Feinbos gin, the next thing Bloodlemon with a slightly different bit of a Feinbos vibe comes or like a local, even just a local South African gin, next thing it's Hope and Hopkins, next thing, you know, um, Inverish, Jorgensen's, all these kind of guys. We can build this realization that South Africa is a, 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 can be a gin capital, mm. you know. So that's a, that's a current yeah. mission. Okay, tell us a little bit about the, the crowdfunding. Um, 
This goes to the, the entrepreneurial inspiration things. Um, I've just believed in crowdfunding as a model to help entrepreneurs because like I, I think entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurship is a great way to uh, empower yourself, make a positive impact on community, world, all these esoteric things, right? Um, with the crowdfunding, what's really cool about it is that you get three types of crowdfunding, right? Did you read Medium? I'm just going to Medium. I wrote a good article. Did you? Crowdfunding. <laughs> Why crowdfunding? By Rob Haynes. <laughs> That's who I am. Um, so three types of crowdfunding. Charity-based crowdfunding um, is when help Jimmy pay for his operation, build a community center, save the flood victims, that kind of thing. It's very much out of the good of your heart, right? Yeah. Then you get equity-based crowdfunding. You know a very good example. Equity for punks, Brewdog, right? Yeah. The biggest type, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and it's the Africa Thunder Fund is rewards-based crowdfunding. And all it is, is a market test. So I've got a concept. I'm gonna pre-sell you my concept. So you have to buy it and you're gonna wait 30 days before it arrives or 40 days or 60 days before it arrives. And if enough of you buy this thing, the project happens, mm. I will make my product and I will ship it to you. So what I've done is I've done a market test to see if people actually want it. Yeah. I've got cash in up front. I've started operating at scale. Um, and we've kind of got the ball rolling and, and made cash run. So it's, it's great. Uh, like if, if you look in, the, in an African context, it's like a stock file. It's mm. community-driven business, right? Yeah. Um, and you, did you leverage, obviously, your platform, not through, not through Yappy Chef, but... Thunder Fund. Uh, so, no, I mean in terms of your followers or... No, we started from scratch because yeah. like I've... Uh, <laughs> I would like to think I have a minor following in beer. <laughs> a few people have like would recognize me, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the reality is in gin, like, no, I don't have much of a footprint. Um, so we're starting from scratch. So fork off Police Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a crowdfunding campaign on Thunderfund. And the thing is, it's fork off Police Guard. It's one of the biggest South African bands. Yeah. So like they've got an audience. We yeah. started with no audience. We yeah. built our audience from scratch, right? Um, so it was a lot of hard work. Um, so there was no leveraging, which is silly. You should kind of leverage, but I, it didn't feel right to try and shout to the craft beer people. Mm. Now come back, my gin. It's like this is even even I didn't get. I, I saw the message come. Yeah. But it didn't like pull me in. Yeah. Well, it it didn't feel like it was right for the beer people. Beers, beer, and there's a there's a let's call it there's a, a craft beer purity law, and I just felt like let's let let beer be beer. And I've got a lot of work still to do with League of Beers. This is a separate project, and I thought let's let's get the gin community behind it and different foodies. So we just started from scratch, which is kind of ballsy to be honest, because to start a crowdfunding campaign without an audience is very difficult. But um, done a little bit of marketing in my time so we just uh, tried some other tricks and got some people into it so it's gone really well for us um, my thing is I also I'm trying to educate people as to crowdfunding because it's also a, you've heard the Wayne Gretzky analogy don't go where the puck is go where the puck is going so e-commerce it's it's always been where things were going it's like apps were where things were going crowdfunding it's huge around the world and it's this great empowering business model for businesses um, but South Africans don't trust it or don't understand it so uh, kind of like one of my submissions currently in life, not a submission, a sub, a, a minor mission, a minor little thing I want to try to write in my whole entrepreneurial inspiration thing is to try and get people to crowdfund their businesses and get people to back crowdfunding because then you get that platform effect and it kind of grows, snowballs on itself because it's, I just find it's the duck. I wouldn't, in actual fact, if I was a, a venture capitalist, right, I would say to any new business, go and crowdfund your product first because it market tests it and it sees if you can coordinate and if you can market and if you can do that then I will give you money yeah. you know 
It's a great test yeah. of a business. And was it successful? Uh, campaign's not done. Oh. Uh, we've raised 460,000 so far. We're, I think, the fourth most successful crowdfunding campaign in South Africa. That's the kind of scale of how wow. small it is. We, the top two were very big brands before. We're, we came out of nowhere. Um, we think we can get into second place. So that'll be, we, our goal is to raise 750,000. It's looking like we'll get between six and 800,000 in the next two weeks, we should hit that mark and then we'll close the campaign. Mm. We, we, second to fork off police card, we can handle that. Next mm. time we'll beat them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, interesting you and say- who drinks Coke anyway? <laughs> you talk about crowdfunding. I bought probably my second bottle of craft gin on a crowdfunding campaign for- Oh really, for New Harbor? New Harbor. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, the, I think the Robos or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah. but what struck me was while he was doing his campaign, mm. Andy from Andy Watts from Distel was doing his crowdfunding or something campaign where he sold some exclusive whiskey. Oh wow! And watching them do it, mm. and mm. and I think I had a discussion with 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 Carl Ke- uh, Dave Kiesel, mm. and we were. The company that was running the the whiskey and it's the first watch brand, no, with the three ships brand, oh, yeah, yeah. which is a local gin and uh, whiskey, whiskey, and he just he knew the agency that was doing it and he said they probably charged more than they raised. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a marketing thing. It's a marketing thing. Crowdfunding is 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 largely a marketing thing. Like for us, we wanted to build a, an audience through it. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a. So here's the thing, right? FMCG, fast-moving consumer goods. I'm assuming your audience all knows that that analogy. Excuse the jargon. Uh, anything in a supermarket, craft beer, beer, cheese, wine, toilet paper, <laughs> anything by Procter and Gamble. Like it's a huge industry, retail, right? Um, three three challenges, and I repeat this a lot, but it's this kind of my mantra of stuff that I focus on, right? Of problems to solve. Um, Difficult to scale, lots of competition, working capital, capital for product, always an issue, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's why crowdfunding is great because um, you you scale from day one, mm-hmm. you get working capital up front, and you market your product in a way that other people don't. Yeah. yeah. So that's why crowdfunding, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, and, and what's the next challenge? So are you still fully employed at Yapishef or how does that work? Uh, I've got a kind of a part-time-ish okay. contract. So uh, at Yapishef, I'm working on three things. Um, I'm trying to grow the subscriptions business. Um, I'm still for drinks or for beer? Uh, or consumables. For, uh, for yeah, subscriptions, it's food-ish consups- okay. cons- uh, subscriptions. We're not going to, people won't buy a KitchenAid mixer every month. They won't subscribe to a KitchenAid yeah, mixer. Every just, color of NutriBullet. It's more than just Yapishef. <laughs> I mean, more than just League of Beers. Yes, yes, yes. I mean. It's expanding the League of Beers model into Yapishef. Yeah. Okay. Um, plus, I still make all the selections for every single product that goes into League of Beers. Mm probably should have handed that over a long time ago but there's still that kind of passion and like just drawing to like what let's, it's, let's call it out of interest more than anything else um, and then the other thing is that what we did with League of Beers is we kind of turned the model on its head and realized how League of Beers and Yapishev could offer marketing to, to the producers mm. so I'm doing a similar thing trying to work on a model where we can offer what we have to the suppliers who want it and just try and as opposed to like 
I have a bit of a reputation for driving a hard bargain, but the reality is I'm very collaborative. Um, like I try and find ways that the supplier can get more and the consumer can get more and we can get more. Everybody kind of win-win-win type of thing, right? So that's the one project I'm working on. But I w I'm only partially employed there. Um, I'm running Sugarbird Gin, uh, which is taking up a fair bit of time. Um, that's a, a big focus. And I'm... I don't want to give away too much, but I've got other stuff in craft beer that I'm working on that I've okay. mentioned to you off air that yeah. we, uh, it's not like it's top secret stuff, but I mean, we don't need to tell everyone about it. Yeah. Let's, we'll, we'll get it going first. But we, there's, I see the craft beer industry in South Africa, statistically is said to be retail sales of a billion rand, has a lot of problems and a lot of things that aren't yet fixed that even League of Beers <laughs> in all our might can't fix. There's a lot of problems to solve. So it's really a, in the same way I mentioned a few minutes ago, the FMCG problems, it's like delving into those problems and how to solve those kind of problems for craft beer. So that's a, a big focus because I'd like to see craft beer, what they say is half percent of South Africa's alcohol or even beer consumption. I'd like to see craft beer get to 5%, 10% of, of, of consumption in South Africa. And I, I think I know how. Okay. We'll, we'll see if I'm right. <laughs> and it won't be all myself. That's also yeah. an important thing. But like... Uh, we can do our bit. Uh, it's a kind of a. Work, it's always been a working together thing, um, but I think we can. We, we can get there. And a lot of people are. A lot of people in the industry are worried about where craft beer is at this point in time. And the same thing happened throughout the world. You get these ebbs and flows. Uh, I think we're strong. We've got a good base, and we'll we'll get better. But it will. It'll require innovation. In the same way, um, I'm not panicking about the water crisis in Cape Town. Um, but it will require some hard thoughts, some hard innovations, mm. some very innovatively driven people to, to fix these problems. And I think in our small little way, we, we need that kind of thing in craft yeah. beer. And uh, just in terms of the, the, the business, is, is the, the subscription thing is, is obviously working and is that still growing? Um, not as fast as I would like. Uh -huh. um, we sell a good couple of pallets every month. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to reach more South Africans and I think we can do that by working with other databases which I'm in the okay. process of doing of partnering with other companies and seeing if we can bring down our delivery costs further to try and work on the price like I, I think the League of Beers monthly mix case is a great value proposition but if there's ways we can improve that value proposition and get more people into craft beer we'd like to do that yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. good it was a nice talk and uh, I mean, for me, it's valuable. I think it's valuable for the listeners. Thanks, Rob. Cool. Thanks, thanks for chatting. Just tell us where they can find you. Yapyashef.com is where the home is now or is it There's legal a lot of Well, anybody who knows me knows that I'm quite hard to track down. So yeah. me in particular, you to struggle. You. <laughs> <laughs> Your product. <laughs> um, so uh, yapyashef.com. Uh, is a good place for anything. You're going to find League of Beers, Sugarbird, or general Yappy okay. Chef items. Um, Sugarbird Gin is the website, at Sugarbird Gin, Twitter and Instagram, uh, forward slash Sugarbird Gin on Facebook. You all know League of Beers. Um, it's in the same place as it's always been. We'll get our social media happening again. Check out the Tasting League. Um, yeah, I'd say that covers it. Yeah. Okay, and is the, when are you launching the gin? Gin's launched. So okay. it's live on Yappy Chef. It's live on Thunder Fund. Uh, we're listed in Norman Goodfellas and we're listed in Macro. Our distributor has just dropped us, so we're trying to find another way to actually get the physical product there. Um, I'd say expect mid-November will be in all the, the big independents. Uh, we'll be in NGF, Norman Goodfellas and Macro. But right now, $2.99, Yappy Chef delivered to your door. Wow. 
that's a it's a nice price for a gin delivered yeah. to your door. Yeah, that's a, that's mm. a good price. And we'll have specials in December, so uh, okay. uh, we're very generous. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Nice chatting, Rob. Cool. Thanks, Olga. And let's see what uh, what Greg's got on tap downstairs. Yeah, at, at Banana Jam. Do we yeah. mention that? And yeah. Uh, yeah, just yeah, you did mention that we had Banana Jam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, good work at what you're doing. Keep pioneering the industry. I think you and I are on a similar page of like let's drive through education. Let's get people into yeah. great product and uh, and supporting the industry as much as possible. So cheers to you as well. Thanks. Cheers, Rob. Sure. Bye.